Hello and welcome to the Last Word Podcast, W-E-R-D. I'm your host, motherfucking Gino. I have the AC in the background. I hope it's not too distracting. I had to close my window. As you all know, I don't produce the podcast. I'm quite literally screaming into my phone. I don't have a podcast studio that's soundproofed and with a pee protectors. I forget what the thing... You know those protectors they put in front of microphones? Anyone who has a podcast knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Anyway, I lose words all the time. Shit, I lose names all the time. I called someone I've known for years last night a different name, and I just know that my head is full of too many people. And I just felt fucking terrible. I felt fucking terrible about that. I don't know if that ever happens to you all. If you're in comedy, you meet so many people every single day, and you like them. You like almost all... Comedians are just so nice to be around. They're so great to be around. And so you like all of them. You like at least almost all of them. And, I mean, you only see a handful of them from day to day, every single day. And those are the people who you remember. And you don't know who's going to be around next year. You don't know who's going to be important. And so your brain just kind of pushes shit out sometimes. And sometimes I call out a name... And it's the wrong fucking name. And it's someone I've known for a while, but maybe I haven't seen him in like six months or something like that. And I'm just like, hey, Adam. And no one turns around. I'm like, Andrew. And then he turns around and I'm like, "Ah, I hope he's not insulted. I hope he's not deeply insulted that I've known him for four years and I just called him the wrong fucking name. I feel like a complete asshole, but it's not something I'm doing on purpose. And it's not that that person is unimportant to me. It's just... I've, I've met maybe a fucking million people in my lifetime. Before I did comedy, if you're like me, then even... If you're like me and you're a comedian, then, like, you've lived such a life that you've met so many people before you even got to comedy and met these 4,000 more people, you know? But I don't know. Uh, I wanted to talk about... John Mulaney's new special, dude, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, John Mulaney is one of my favorite comics. Uh, he's probably on my Mount Rushmore of comics. If I can put it, if I can put my Mount Rushmore of comics together at the top of my head, and it still includes Dave Chappelle, even though Dave Chappelle hasn't been heavy on joke telling for like a long time. But he still says smart things, even though it's mixed in with things that I don't necessarily agree with, even though I feel like on stage he can be less than completely thoughtful all the time. And, you know, you may disagree with me or you may feel like I don't go far enough with that opinion. But I still think he's a guy who's thoughtful and who really uh, has love in his heart. Anyway, Dave Chappelle's still on that Mount Rushmore is all I'm saying. John Mulaney, uh, Louis C.K., and... um, Oh, I don't know. Let's say George Carlin. I hate that those are all white dudes, but... No, they're not all white dudes. Dave Chappelle's not a white dude. But he is very white-friendly. Like, he definitely has a lot of white people in his audiences. Whatever. It doesn't matter. John Mulaney's one of my favorite comedians. Uh, His new special is very honest, very... It's more storytelling than he's ever done before. He usually will kind of, like tell a couple stories he'll cover a couple of topics you know and he's just riddled with punchlines and animated sort of act outs you know but he's definitely a person who's invested in the story and he's one of those people that at different times in my comedy 
comedy formative years I've emulated for moments at a time. And it's a weird thing when you, you're just starting out comedy and you're picking up influences and you like the way this guy does things and you feel like it can add to your persona. So you try to emulate it for just a second. This is, what ha- this is how I've experienced it. And then everybody sort of stares at you like, what the fuck is he doing? And I'm like, okay, well, this, doesn't, this clearly doesn't suit me, but I still feel like there are things from this I can learn. Anyway, it's, it's brutally honest. You know what I like about it? I guess it's because I've been a drug dealer in my past. You know, that was, that was probably the first time I met too many people is when I started, you know, you're in high school. And when, when you're in high school and you get into one or the other social barrier... And for me, it was weed. Once I started smoking weed, everyone all of a sudden wanted to hang out with me. It opened this weird door. And I wasn't real proud of it, but it's not a nice thing when you start doing, when you pick up a bad habit and then everybody around you is like, oh, now we can hang out. And you're like, oh, now we can hang out? Like, we couldn't hang out before. Like, you didn't just like me. You like this kind of bad habit that I have. And I understood it as a bad habit. And I I really didn't even pick it up as a habit until after high school. But people just saw that I smoked weed. And people were always... People were always asking me to smoke weed with me. Even... But believe me, this is building up to something. I'm not just talking about my weed smoking days in high school. Uh, People were all... Because I always looked high. I always looked either dumb or high or sad or angry. Or like I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I just always had this lost look on my face, you know. Uh, this lost or over-concentrated look on my face. And uh, people would always ask to smoke weed with me, and I didn't, I didn't smoke weed. And then when, once I started, everyone felt like, oh, we can hang out with you. And I can tell, that's how John Mulaney kind of explains his... He said he started drinking when he was like nine or something like that. Because his parents had like a quote-unquote European approach to drinking, which is... As soon as you can reach the bar, it's all right to drink. And so he, he explains his, his days coming up as kind of like these Charles Dickens urchins sitting on a fucking, sitting on the back steps of a bar trying to get adults to buy them alcohol. And I can identify with that so much. Right away, like, he starts, exp- he starts explaining his entire addiction Not the whole thing, I mean, because that would take days, right? But he starts explaining his entire addiction um, journey. And I'm just, I'm getting flashbacks the whole time. I haven't struggled myself with addiction terribly, not the way other people have. Uh, Weed has been, weed has been the thing that had my name on it. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Because some people can, like, um, casually do cocaine. Some people can casually drink. Some people can casually smoke but I've heard the phrase, uh, watch what substance you use because you don't know what's going to have your name on it. And for some people, that substance is food. Right? The, I mean, especially in the U.S., right? There's definitely like food is treated as a drug. I mean, eat Takis and tell me you didn't just do a drug. That shit is a fucking flavor explosion. And you don't know when... To, I mean, it's, you're clearly not eating it for sustenance. You're eating it because it makes you feel a certain way. You're like, oh my God, I feel like my head just exploded with all these flavors and I want that feeling again. You're eating a feeling. You're not eating sustenance. You know, that's a drug. I guess that's my point there. 
But uh, I just love the way John Mulaney explains the double life that is led by an addict who looks like he has his shit together. Because you've seen addicts that don't have their shit together and everybody just knows that that person's an addict and you know to take them half seriously, you know? They're a person and they communicate their needs and if they're in your world, then you at least listen to some of the things they say. But you know that when they go off on a topic that you should kind of probably just stop listening at a certain point. But then there's... um. I grew up with those, the closet junkies. And I remember, because I used, I used to sell weed, but I, because my brother did meth when I was in high school, that kind of just brought me into selling meth sometimes. So I knew lots of coke heads and meth heads. And also I dated, when I was 15, I dated a recovered crack addict. And then over the course of us dating, she be, she got into heroin. And I was such a fucking trash bag of a person at that time that I kept it a secret that I knew she was doing heroin because I didn't want to have to break up with her. Because <laughs> I was such a fucking dumpster fire of a human being. I just knew I was getting laid every day. And I think I actually fell in love with her by then. But I just... I was surrounded on all sides by people who were living that double life. And the girl I was dating was one of those people because she was that cute little girl. And her mom had this air of, because they were just white, they're just white women, you know, and the world really does take white women seriously. And especially her mom, I think when I met her mom, her mom was 30, but she looked easily in her mid forties and she just looked like a soccer mom. And she really could just turn the mom personality on and off. And she would like, because she's psychotic, she was psychotic is what we later found out. Uh, She was diagnosed as psychotic and for a little while the government paid her to stay away from society. That actually happened. But while I knew them while I was a kid, they lived this double life where I saw them just turn on and off this like, junkie slash privileged white girl personality they would just kind of like jump between the two very easily very quickly you know and that's (laughs) that's essentially like what john mulaney is explaining right he's he's this guy who's got it together he's got lots of peppy energy and at some point he says i wonder where i got that from you know yeah clearly i i i don't know i it it tickles me a lot because i've been a big fan and so and plenty of people i know specifically did not like John Mulaney. I can understand you not being a fan of his brand of comedy, but their claim was that he was phony. And uh, I think in the first John Mulaney special I ever watched, he really goes on record as like, I used to be not just an alcoholic. What he says is, I used to drink. And when you're a person who used to drink, that means you had a real problem with alcohol. And I love that he says, he's like, I know that I look like I didn't used to do anything. Like he acknowledges all of these things, you know? And I'm like, dude, he's addressing all of it. And he has this joke where he's like, I don't know if I never want to have kids. The, de- the night before my Harvard graduation, I smoked cocaine and now I'm afraid to get a flu shot. I mean, these are all jokes that he casually sprinkles in all of his specials that just like he's had problems with drugs and alcohol. And just because he's so polished of a person, it doesn't register for some reason. And I think that's why people say he's they're like, he's done drugs. I'm like, yeah, you only know that because he said so. 
he's not being phony about it. He's just the preppy drug addict. He's that kid from high school who was in all the, you know, like he was in all the, the academic activities, you know what I mean? But like he had a closet habit. And I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid being resentful to those, to those kids because they always used to accuse me of being a stoner, even though I wasn't really a stoner in high school. I was a stoner after high school. I wasn't a stoner in high school, but I sold weed on the side and I sold meth on the side and I wasn't really like a big drug dealer guy, but it was just something that got me indoors. And, uh, if I could have worked a job, I would have, but I had a low GPA and nobody would sign the work permit for me to actually work. So this is how I made money. And my dad was an asshole and I didn't like my parents giving me money. So this, this was my way of earning an honest living was just, I'd go to school and people would come up to me and ask to give me money. It was, it was like, you know, I was a vending machine or something like that. People just come up and, hey, can I get a little bit of this and a little bit of that? And it wasn't like a lot of money. It was just as a kid, you're just like, yeah, I have 50 bucks at the end of the day. I have 100 bucks at the end of the week. or And I could just get by and do things, you know. And these, these preppy coke addicts, who I knew were coke addicts, they would just kind of like say shit to me during class, kind of playfully, but I mean out loud in front of everybody. And it kind of made me less credible of a person and I remember really resenting that so I can understand how the people I know who have not been John Mulaney fans I can understand how they feel and where that's coming from but the guy is funny and the guy is honest about what he's been through and where he's been you know Uh, I should say at this point I kind of have a weed hangover I I know I've mentioned on the last couple of uh, podcasts that I've been kind of abusing weed and uh yeah that's that's my addiction is weed. So like I've kind of brought up this this kind of this X factor about the human condition where everything that we need be, we can abuse as an addiction. And that uh I mentioned like food, right? I know plenty of people who I know a guy right now who who was 400 and some pounds several months ago and now he's he's so worried about his health that he's literally starving himself. He's like, "Oh, I'm intermittent fasting." He's uh, he's Australian. "Oh, I'm in I'm intermittent fasting." And I'm like, "You mean you're starving yourself?" I'm like, "You have to come up with like a diet plan that works for you." He's like, "Ah, this works. This works, mate." Uh, I had to worry about myself. I've done a lot of drugs in my time. <laughs> he he's a really good guy. I've done a lot of drugs in my time and the people around me are starting to drop like flies. So I figure I don't want to be next. I got to drop some weight. He's so cheery about the whole fucking thing. He's great. Um, but like food, right? I believe that drugs are necessary in life in moderation. I do believe that. And I like that it's become more socially acceptable to just have drugs in your life because I truly believe that shame is part of the addiction chemical in your brain. It's part of the thing. It keeps you hiding in dark corners, keeping it a secret from everybody. And that becomes part of the addiction. And if you can be open and honest about what substances you're using and what's in your body, then that kind of keeps, that staves at least that part of the addiction off. Because as long as you stay within the social group, right? Because the, the shame takes you away from the social group and then it becomes this lone experience. And I think that's where you get in a dangerous place. 
but as long as you're within the group, it's, it's remains a social thing and it remains a thing that we're all experiencing together. And you can kind of, uh, be subject to, uh, what I call the wisdom of the crowd, kind of this median, right? Where if there are people in the room who are like less addicted, then that can also rub off on you. I don't know. Maybe that's nonsense. Maybe I'm just talking shit. There are definitely other things I want to talk about uh, before I'm done here. Uh, but I, I just wanted to mention that I have a weed hangover, I guess is the main thing. And I'm out of my giant jug of water. I usually carry uh, a five-gallon jug of water in my room. And that's how I stay hydrated through my hangovers, through my weed hangovers, uh, when I drink too much coffee. And all I have is just a fucking 16 ounces of tap water in front of me. It's awful. I'm going to take a sip of it right now. If you all listen to me, you know how I feel about tap water. I'm not a big fan. Ugh, it just feels empty. It feels like it's taking things away from me. I, I always put minerals in my water. And it feels like I can it feels like my body is allowed to drink more of it. When I drink too much tap water, it feels like it's actually taking something away from me. Anyway, uh I just want to say a little bit more about the special. Um He's just it it kind of sucks because he doesn't talk about anything else. I'll say that. I'm just like, oh, this whole thing's about addiction. Like, he's not, there's nothing else on this special except about addiction. <sighs> Excuse me. But there's so much there. There's so much to talk about. And he really just, um, if, you've, if you're a person who's ever experienced anything like that or been surrounded by people like that, you understand how inane the lifestyle is that it's like, yeah, the stuff of comedy. And probably he's wanted to tell some of these stories the whole time because they're just great stories. But he's like, ah, that's not my image. Uh, I'm kind of a clean comic right now. I can't just be telling stories about my Coke dealer. But uh, one of the stories that really... I've seen people do stuff like this, right? And I, I'm not going to give away the whole story. I mean, I guess I'll give away the premise of the story, but I'm not going to ruin it for you joke-wise, all the jokes that are in there. But So at some point, he knows he's got a problem. And I've been there too with weed, where you know you have a problem, and uh, like I'll buy a disposable vape pen, and then I'll get high, and then I'll throw the vape pen away. And I'm just like, ah, I don't need this in my life. I'm just going to be getting high because I have such a low tolerance that a little disposable vape pen can last me a month, two months or whatever. And I'm still experiencing the damage of vape and I'm still high all the time. And my mood, if you haven't noticed, I'm a very monotone guy. I'm so monotone that it's something that I really have to like, it's something that I really have to fight against in my stage presence and stuff like that. So I don't need weed weighing me down on top of that. Because I'm still, even if I'm not like completely high a day or two later, I'm still kind of experiencing those effects that sort of bog me down and tie down my energy. For instance, I took an edible today or yesterday. I'm, I'm hungover today. I, didn't, I took like five milligrams, you know, and I drank plenty of water. And, uh, and then I have a show tomorrow. So I hope that I'm not bogged down tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, so this story, uh, it, it was probably my favorite story from the whole thing. And I love the way he wraps it up. It, it, so he, he tells his accountant because he's a guy with money. So he has an accountant and he tells his accountant, uh, Hey, uh, look, I'm having some problems right now. So don't give me any money unless I send you an email with a doctor's CC attached to it. Unless I CC a doctor attached to it and then he immediately regrets telling his accountant that and he, he could easily just like revoke his own command because it's his money and his accountant and the guy works for him but instead 
he goes around finding ways to steal money from himself. And so he ends up buying a $12,000 watch and selling it for $6,000 so that he can have that. Because he can only buy things through credit card and you clearly can't buy cocaine with a credit card. And so he, he buys... He buys a $6,000 watch. And I understand what he's going through because immediately when, when you buy a high ticket item like that, people want to cater to you. It's not a simple thing. You don't just go in and spend $12,000 and people are all like, all right, well, that was that. You go in to buy anything upwards of $1,000 and people have all kinds of questions. And it's not because necessarily they want to find out if you're legitimate. They're just trying to do their customer service thing. And the more you try to rush through that customer service process... The higher that price goes, essentially, because they understand that you want this thing really bad and there might be something shady attached to it. And for him, there was. He wanted to buy a fucking $6,000 worth of clonopin and cocaine or whatever. And so he's, he's, they're like, is this for you? Is this for a friend? What are you going to wear it with? Or have you, would you like to see other timepieces? And he's like, no, I just want this one. It's, for, it's a gift for a friend and I know his exact wrist size and I don't need it sized. And he's just trying to get rid of this thing. And then he goes to the next place and he's just like, yeah, I've had it forever. And he's like, this thing says you bought it today. It has a date on it. And anyway, essentially, so he buys the watch for $12,000. He sells it for $6,000. He just stole $6,000 from himself, literally, because he just fucking asked himself out of $6,000 just so he can have the cash in his pocket so he can go buy drugs. It's <laughs> and I love the way he caps off the story is, and I can so identify this. And I feel like if, even if you haven't lived, even if you're not an addict, even if you haven't lived an addict lifestyle, even if you haven't been surrounded by these people, everybody to some extent lives a double life. Everybody to some extent has just like this secret part of themselves that you do things maybe you're not proud of or whatever. You communicate with people you're not proud to know necessarily, something like that. And he says, uh, he wraps up the story by saying, look, as annoying and as wasteful and inane as that story is, I, I just want you to keep in mind, that's a story that I'm willing to tell you. <laughs> and for me, that's all of it right there. It's, it's just like, dude, as, as shitty as that story is, just remember, just think, I've done stupider and worse things that, I, that there's no way I'll tell you because the, I would be judged so harshly. Anyway, it's a great special. I think you should check it out. That's the only part of it that I'll ruin for you. I love the way he opens it up. He opens it up masterfully. I love the way he closes it. He closes it with an interview he doesn't remember giving three, three days before his intervention. And he even is like still kind of pissed at the people who did his intervention because he just feels like he was sneaky and deceptive. But I mean, also, I mean, if there's a friend that you love and you see that they're kind of slipping off, the, it's one thing to do drugs I know plenty of people who do drugs casually and it seems like maybe they're doing all right. It's hard to tell because they have money. So they just kind of like, they can always get sustenance, but you can always see that they're kind of in a different world. I don't know. They're not close friends. So I really don't fuck with them too much, you know, but, uh, if there's someone that you love and you see that they're like going beyond casual drug use and they're maybe slipping off the face of the earth, they're gone feral. That's what happens because you, you lose your identity in these things and you kind of become the drug. <clears throat> That's what happens to people. They become the drug. The drug is like a demon that possesses them and they just kind of become the drug. They're this slimy, slippery, 
feral thing that just kind of understands dynamics at a very human dynamics at a base level and just understands that there's a thing that they need there's a thing that they want and if you have someone like that in your life i hope that you i hope that you can save them i hope that you can save them i've always said don't ever help somebody who didn't ask for help um because like john mulaney right he's very he's very resentful right and maybe i would say if you have someone like that in your life um maybe just be around them a little bit be around them enough for them to just have that moment of vulnerability and actually ask for help i think i don't know that's how it's happened in my life uh before i go on with this i do want to mention because uh I was talking about how some of my friends hate John Mulaney because they say he's, uh, he's phony. And uh, I'm like, no, he's not. You know, he's said all that stuff in his specials or whatever. And uh, so I, I also watched, as I was watching the special, because I, I don't watch anything usually all the way through, you know. Um, in between, I was actually watching the interview on uh, Theo Vaughn's podcast. When Theo Vaughn had John Mulaney on his podcast. <clears throat> and he brings that up. He says, he's, he's like, I've tried to address it in my specials and for some reason it just doesn't register. And, and Theo Vaughn's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's something weird about you where like, even if you say it, you say it out loud, you, you, there's this way that you present yourself and, and it just doesn't register. I don't see it. You can say it all you want and I just don't see it. I just see this clean cut guy who's got it together. And, and John Mulaney says, he's like, but in my mind, it's like, yeah. Of course it's the guy who's got it together. Of course it's the guy who's presenting himself as... Because he's got something to prove. Like, that's... That's the guy... The guy who goes around like that is the guy who's got something to prove. And honestly, every adult I've known who goes around just, like, all slick in a suit all the time, it's like, yeah, that guy's... Of course he's doing cocaine. What the fuck are you thinking, you know? If not other things, you know? But, uh... But yeah, I, uh, I, w- I went through something like that. It wasn't necessarily an intervention. And luckily, I didn't have to go through any of that. Because like I said, when I was a kid, my brother did meth. And, uh, and it, it was rough. It was rough because it was, it was a demon in the house, you know. And it was in my brother. And at some point, I just kind of accepted the fact that he was going to die. That he was going to die of his drug addiction. If not directly because of the addiction maybe because of the people he was dealing with or something related you know or he's also he's also type 1 diabetic on drugs he would forget to do his insulin shot sometimes for a couple days in a row and we were just really surprised that he was still going i was surprised that he had lived as long as he did honestly it felt like he kind of cheated death and then um you know as as drug addicts do the the drug just kind of takes possession of them and he started robbing the middle school that we both went to and we lived right in front of we lived right in front of this middle school and (laughs) alarm systems being what they are and security and police being as terrible and shitty at their job as they are i say that he started to rob the school because he did it multiple times And it was so easy that him and his friends kind of got an ego about it and they stopped being sneaky and they just kind of broke the front front office window and just started taking shit out of the office, just kind of out there. I mean, it's two, three in the morning or whatever, but I mean, eventually he went to jail, I guess is what I'm saying. And it wasn't for very long. It was a first offense and he was relatively young. I think he was like 19 at the time. 19? Uh, Yeah, I think he was about 19 at the time. Maybe 20 maybe 20. 
he was pretty young, you know, and so he just did a few months, but he did the worst kind of time that a person can do because of his condition, because of his medical condition. He was in, uh, God, what, what is it called? It's intake, receiving, IRC, or something like that. It's basically where they keep all the people who have medical problems. If you have a broken arm, or like him, you had type 1 diabetes. If you need kind of constant medical uh, attention, not even necessarily attention, but if you need doctors near you, just in case you might go into some kind of shock or you know something like that. But anyway, he was, in a, he was by himself in a cell. He was alone. So he was essentially in solitary confinement, even though he wasn't like really a threat. He wasn't really a risk like that. He was on 22 hour lockdown, which means only two hours out of the day he was allowed to socialize or talk to other people. And even though people in jail aren't necessarily the best people to be around as a human being, as a social animal, it does something really fucked up to you if you're alone by yourself, especially for a few months. And so when he got out, he just really wanted to be straight he just really he started working with my dad even though my dad's a very difficult person to work with he started trying to manage the restaurant that my uh, my dad owned at the time and he wanted to make up for being a shitty older brother so he bought me all this weed so that i can sell because he said he wanted me to succeed but that's kind of beside the point uh he really wanted to not be on meth and i knew that at some point the only friends he had were drug friends and hold on, I'm going to turn off the AC now. And I hope it hasn't been so distracting this whole time. <clears throat> he, oh, the, the only friends he had were drug friends, were drug addict friends. And they missed him. They were missing him, you know. And so they started calling him. And I knew that it was just a matter of time. And being in our house, and I was living my own life, I had... At the, that time, that was the time when I was dating that girl who was an ex, you know, recovered crack addict. And, and while I was dating her, she got on heroin. Her mom gave her those drugs, by the way. That's how she got on those drugs. And so I was, I was kind of just kind of living my own life. I was on the wrestling team. I had friends. I was out there on the street being a voluntary street rat. I was kind of just bored with life, out there getting drunk all the time. But I had my own life and my brother was just at home alone. And I was so afraid to bring my brother into my world because I knew that even though he had recovered from being a drug addict, that there was something still very feral about him. Like he had kind of forgotten everything he knew about being a person. Because when he was a kid, he was a very put together, charismatic, smart, uh, creative, everything, all the good things you can say about a person. He was that, you know. And then the drugs kind of like, they really took over. So he would be on acid for days at a time. He would, because it's not just like one, once you choose, once you're in that lifestyle, like your brain belongs to whatever is in your system at the time. And you're really just subject to these whims, you know, and John Mulaney explains his drug addiction. It wasn't just Coke, you know, because he used to take clonopin to take himself down. And so he was on all these opiates too. And that was the hard part of his recovery. And it was a similar thing with my brother where he was... <coughs> It wasn't just the drug, but he was, he was, again, just a bored, kind of depressed, chemically depressed person who really fell back on just this madness. That's what he called it, the madness. He was addicted to the madness of just being up for days at a time, not knowing what was coming next. It was all crazy. And he just loved that, the chaos. You know, that's what he, would, he was addicted to. And now he's at home by himself 
and he wants to hang out with me. I'm his younger brother, and I'm kind of just coming into my own. I'm 16. I'm just kind of barely, barely figuring out myself, barely coming into being a person that uh, is taken seriously by my peers. You know all those things. You know, and I remember it was very. It was one very specific night <clears throat> where one of his old friends. It was his partner in crime. It was the guy who was arrested with. He just kept on calling him. He just wanted to hang out with him because your drug friends. They just really want more drug friends, you know? And he just kept on calling him. And my brother was just like, I could tell his defenses were getting like broken down. He was about to hang out with this guy. And if he was going to hang out with this guy, then he was definitely going to do drugs. And then it's just, then he's back on it, you know, if he does that. And my mom came up to me and she's just like, look, Gina, I know that you're going to go see your girlfriend, but I think your brother really needs you right now. I think can, if there's any way that you can just take him with you, if you can just be with him. And so from that moment on, my brother was my new partner in crime. I mean, for lack of a better term, I guess I took him under my wing. I don't know, but he just really became part of my friend group. And to this day, he hangs out with all the people that I used to hang out with. And I was always grateful to be able to give him a second chance at the part of childhood that he missed out on because I was four years younger than him. So now he's kind of back with that group of people. All the people he's hanging out with are like 16, 17. And all through his 20s, he's, you know, maybe he's 27, he's hanging out with 23-year-olds. And he gets to do all these cool 23-year-old things that he would have missed out on if he would have been drugs, been on drugs. But so I was able to help him just by being there with him is all I'm saying. You know, if, if there's someone like that in your life, that's the best thing you can do is be with them. And if it's impossible to be with them, you know, you can try having an intervention. I don't know how those things work. I don't know what the success rate is. But once someone asks for help, that's that's when it's time to step in. It's It's really difficult to help somebody who didn't ask for help. You're basically assaulting them at that point. And it's it's a very strange dynamic. But I was very glad to be able to be that for my brother and to do that for my brother. And uh, even though it, was, uh, it wasn't easy and, uh, and yeah, he kind of forgot how to be a person. And that's what drugs do to you. They kind of make you forget your humanity a lot. And that's why that's another thing that him and Theo Vaughn talked about in the podcast when he was a guest on Theo's podcast was how... Um, you're just about that moment, you know, that's, oh man, I completely forgot where I was going to go with that, but it was very meaningful. I'll let you know that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really great special. It's a really great everything. Uh, you should check it out. I want to talk about this other thing before I go. And so I really wanted to stop the last episode, which by the way, I just uploaded right now. I just published right now. It, <laughs> I I talked about a bunch of serious things and I started at top with that. What I, I should have started with like happy 420 because it was about to be 420 and I was like, oh, I, I feel like I just brought everybody down. So I really wanted to start this podcast on something that was really cool. And you see how I got serious with that? Something really cool like a new comedy special and then you get just like really, really serious with it. You know, you go back into some, some deep-seated trauma. But uh, I don't know, everything's like that. That's why, I, I don't know. I love shows like Atlanta that like delve into comedy and drama like at the exact same level. But uh, so, okay, so I want to delve into some deep and serious stuff. If I can remember that last, I wanted to drive one more point home 
that was something that him and Theo talked about. It was it was so important to me. God damn it. It's a really great interview, by the way, because they really delve into what it is to have the life of a drug addict and to figure out you have a problem and to sort of be kind of like powerless by yourself against it. The the episode of Theo Vaughn's podcast, I don't really listen to podcasts that much, but I love listening to comedians talk to each other. And so the episode of Theo Vaughn's podcast with, uh, with John Mulaney on, very great, very deep dive, still very fun, you know, and uh, I recommend it. You should check out that episode too. If I have any say about it, you should check it out. Um, so, okay, so... Tucker Carlson is in the news and uh, part of me wants to say who gives a shit, honestly. Uh, I think these people are the very definition of evil. (laughs) I mean, on both sides. And I always, anytime I say the word both sides, I always mention that there's two sides to a coin, but life is not a coin. And there should not be the phrase both sides when we're talking about something as multifaceted as the fabric of society and life itself. But on both sides, these people are garbage. They're fucking garbage. So Tucker Carlson's in the news, and uh, he's getting a lot of praise from people like Russell Brand, from people like Joe Rogan. And I can understand, right? And also people uh, people on what you would call the left, the more liberal media, uh, they're dancing on his grave as if there's a grave. Tucker Carlson isn't going to go anywhere, I don't think. Honestly, my belief is that he's poising himself to run for president. That is my strong belief. Now, he's gotten credit from people like Joe Rogan and Russell Brand for dissenting against his own side. But for me, there's a big, big but there. Because uh, I was watching Joe Rogan last night and I was just like, I was really bothered by his reaction because he's just like, yeah, I don't think I don't think Tucker Carlson is this evil person that people make him out to be. He is. I will say definitively that he is one of the worst people there is. And the reason is, the reason being, because he's very, very smart. Okay? The way he's been painting himself as of late within the last month. Hold on, I'm going to take a drink of this this awful tap water. Okay, that's just staving off the headache from my weed hangover. Okay, so um, Tucker Carlson was fired abruptly. I wouldn't say it's abruptly. I would say that you could have seen it coming a mile away if you're paying attention, if you understand, if you understand how these things work, you know, uh, the Dominion voter machines lawsuit thingy. Uh, they came to a settlement of like 178 million or something like that, which, uh, is not a little bit of money, but when it comes to, uh, sponsorship and broadcasting money, it's not necessarily, it's not a billion dollars is what I'll say. Uh, we can go so far as to say it is, a th- it is two thousandths of a billion dollars. Two thousandths? Is that fair to say? Two thousandths? No, 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 it's not quite. I don't know how the percentages work. I'm... A billion is a thousand million dollars, right? So a million is a thousandth of a billion dollars. That That's correct to say, right? A billion is a thousand million dollars. So a million... All right, I don't want to... 
I don't want to give you a headache with the math of this shit, but it's significantly less than a billion dollars, $178 million. That's what they, that's what they settled for. Uh, if I'm correct, I don't know. Fact check me on that. I'm not any kind of authority or shit. But uh, so subsequently and immediately, Tucker Carlson is fired and Don Lemon leaves CNN. Now, these both are staples of their respective sides. And we won't really know what this means for at least a year, I think. But Tucker Carlson has been doing these interviews as of late. So if you're paying attention, you could have saw this coming a mile away because I've seen him on interviews recently uh, with Russell Brand and other people and all of a sudden denouncing the rhetoric that he's been spewing almost his entire career as if he's coming to some awakening, as if he is now, it's like a come to Jesus moment or something like that, as if he's been a fucking down syndrome baby up until you know three months ago and now he just now he just figured out he just figured out that maybe his station and every other news station does not have the well-being of the public in mind he just figured that out right now because he's a fucking moron and he didn't even though so especially after the memos were kind of being passed back and forth in public of him not believing his own rhetoric right of the, him not drinking his own Kool-Aid. The, the memos going back and forth between him and other network executives on Fox News about like, oh, this is so stupid. And if you pay attention, you can see Fox News doing damage control that's unnecessary because they're giving their audience too much credit. And where they didn't need to do damage control, they're, you know, apologizing for things that may have been missaid or uh i don't know i don't have any specific examples on hand but i do watch from time to time and i see and for someone like joe rogan someone like russell brand to say that tucker carlson hasn't been completely malevolent 100 percent of the time uh it's just then you're not paying attention and Joe Rogan went on to say, uh, people who say that they haven't watched Tucker Carlson, they don't know what he says. I have watched Tucker Carlson. And he has this art of just saying a random thing that doesn't belong in the argument, and he'll just say it emotionally. And, uh, okay, like one specific example was, uh, okay, so the George Floyd... Um, marches slash riots when they were happening he would say things like and when they come for you and they're coming for you and like who is you you know i mean that's that's not news you know like where are people going are they going to the rural towns are they going are they stuck in the cities are they like what exactly is happening because if you go back to those uh demonstrations slash riots slash protests <clears throat> you'll see um, how rocks were just left out there. Rocks and sticks and just kind of like riding paraphernalia were sort of left out there before the protests. And nobody knows who left them there. They could, And uh, you'll also see cops breaking windows kind of casually. And, uh, and you can see the establishment at work, you know? And then you see someone like Tucker Carlson ignoring all of that footage and saying, they're coming for you. Those words, they're coming for you. They are coming for you, just like that. 
and then he'll say something that doesn't make any sense. And one specific memory that I have is he's like, what's the answer? Maybe, maybe the farmers are to blame. Arrest more farmers. He'll say something like that. And that's like his, that's like Alex Jones's, the frogs are gay, you know, that's, that's Tucker Carlson's version of that, where he's just throwing arrest more farmers into something that has nothing to do with farmers. Like, are we, are the farmers in danger? Is someone blaming farmers? Like, where did he pull that out? And he, so he'll, he would just do that every single broadcast where he would just bring out a thing and let white rural America feel as though they're at some kind of risk that nobody ever mentioned. And it's just so emotional. And I was, so I was just to brush up for this podcast. I was listening to some Tucker Carlson. I, I tried to go back about a year just so I could go before the, because once the Dominion lawsuit began, he slowly began to change his rhetoric. I say this as someone who pays attention because before the Dominion lawsuit, he was all in. He was all in on the rhetoric and everything bad is liberal and everything conservative is good. And this, and he would even not, it's not news. Like he would just say, this is how things are socially. And this is how things should be, which is the opposite of news. Because if you're the news and you're interested in a topic, then you're reporting statistics, you're reporting studies, you're interviewing people on the ground who have experienced the thing you're talking about. And, uh, he wouldn't do that. Fox news has a way of bringing out kind of these uh, liberal poster boys who aren't on any other channel. You won't find them on CNN. You won't find them on MSNBC. They exist to be flogged on Fox News. That's, that's the only place you see them. They're kind of these liberal, yeah, it's, it's, they're like uh, archetypes that they just kind of drag in only on Fox News so that they can just be made to look like assholes. Anyway, I'm not saying, I don't side with the fucking, I, I can't, if, if you've heard me in the past, you know that I can't fuck with like super hyper woke people. I mean, there, there's a nuance to life. And if you, if you ascribe to one side or the other side, then you're ignoring kind of all of the rest of everything else that society is made out of, you know, but I'm just saying I've paid attention to Tucker Carlson and I've seen him change his rhetoric. As soon as the dominion lawsuit started to really like gain steam and, uh, and gain headlines in the press, that's when you saw him start to change his rhetoric. And especially as of late, especially in the last month or so, you see him on these shows and he'll say things like, I didn't know. I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. I didn't know that the news corporations were just out there to try to control people. This whole time, my entire life, my entire career, I thought I was doing a good thing and I didn't know. And there's, and there's that, uh, Tucker Carlson, if you don't know, was born on CNN. He was born on CNN. I mean, as a famous personality. I'm sure he did stuff before that and during that. But as a famous personality, he was half of the show Crossfire on CNN. And Jon Stewart went on there, I don't know, it was like 2004 or something like that, or 2006. I don't know. Uh, but he, he went on there between Tucker and his liberal shill counterpart. And he's just like, you guys are bad for the country. You guys, can you please stop? Everything you're doing is bad for the country and it's, it's just, it, it stops communication and it pits people against each other and it's the opposite of news. And, uh, and I shouldn't be stuck with doing the news. I'm a comedian. I'd run a comedy show. I make fun of the news. 
your job is to do the news and what you're doing is bad for the country. He was emphatically. And then for, for a brief while, Tucker Carlson and the show were taken off the air. And then he resurfaces on Fox News. And on Fox News, once Laura Ingram, Laura Ingram? No, I'm sorry, wrong one. Once Megyn Kelly was booted from her time slot, that's where he really got big. And once you get big, you're also in danger, right? Uh, so in the last month or so, he's been going on shows saying he didn't know he was wrong the whole time. He's a very smart guy. He's a very, very smart guy. You don't get where he got by being stupid. He's a very intelligent guy, and he was smart enough to be the guy on those memos saying something that is the opposite of what he said on the air. That's how smart he is. And he knows what's actually going on, and he knows what's necessary to say to make money and to keep his job and to become a person of power. And that's why I think he's poising himself to be a Democratic, because not Democratic, to be a, to be a presidential candidate. Because this, this has been floated in the past. In the last election, it was kind of floated, but there's no way he could take on Trump. Because Trumpism is kind of a religion. Trump can do no wrong. To someone who likes Trump, the man can do no wrong. He would have to have gay sex on television while just disparaging being white at the same time. You know, he would, have to, he would really have to just cross all the lines at the same time in public, like in the street or something like that. He would have to shoot a grandma of like a kkk grand wizard i don't know anyway uh there's no way he, he can be disparaged you, there's no way so there's no way you can win against trump is all i'm saying uh as a conservative at least right now in this day and age uh that's my opinion and so it was it, it was floated in the last election that tucker should run for president tucker would run for president that he might be considering and so there's no better candidate to go into 2024 or who knows maybe even 2028 um then someone who is a born again political leader right someone who saw the error of his ways and is big enough to admit that he's wrong i want you to notice the condescension in my voice even in my monotone i can have inflection someone who's born again and and just can admit that they're wrong and be big enough and underst- and who's been part of the system and understands it. And so since he's been part of the system, then maybe he can be the guy to manipulate it for the better. He's been a politician the whole time. He's been Goebbels the whole time. He's been evil the whole time. And that's, that's what he is. He's a fucking sociopath. Anyway, so I talked about the news. I talked about something I'm watching. I'm going on 50 minutes right now. Let's see if there's something I can uh, end on an up note. Oh! Uh, so, uh, pretty much finished editing the pilot. It looks pretty good. Uh, I've already said, I wish I had more time with it. I could have, uh, spent more time directing, spent more time. It's good. It's not the fantastic vision that I had hoped. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's like I said, you know, you're not going to know how to do something, especially as complex and big, uh, as putting together a television pilot, you're not going to know that your first time doing it. So, I mean, for our first time, and I hate that phrase, by the way, good for a first try. I don't like it at all, but it is good for a first try. It is very, very good for a first try. Um, I like the writing. When the jokes land, they land hard. Um, 
the the actors did a great job the comedians on it amazing uh jackson banks uh steph turan uh oh elise goldgowski oh fucking billy myers the third all fucking killed it they were amazing the amazing asia's affair she plays the lead character the she's the star of the fucking show she's such a talent and if i can have any part in her making it as a famous actress i mean she was just so good she has such a range she could be fucking like crazy she could be serious she could be smart she could be stupid she could be dramatic she was just the fucking the whole bag the whole bag and beautiful as all get out so uh i'm glad for that so uh i'm just having the uh, editor do some audio cleanup right now and uh as soon as i have it back in my little pause i'm going to start putting it uh kind of dicing it up for reels for instagram for tiktok and uh send the uh the parts that had featured extras that who were comics i'm going to send those back out to those people and and they fucking killed it so i hope they're proud of their work i'm proud of their work and uh and let's just hope i make some money out of this somehow or another hopefully i sell either the script or the pilot or at least it can sell me as someone who belongs on a bigger better stage doing comedy for more people at the same time and getting paid a decent amount of money for it that is the hope that is the goal um Hey, man, I hope all of you, men and women, I use the gender neutral man. Hey, man. Hey, bro. Hey, sucker. I hope you all, uh, I was going to say admit. Uh, I'm a little delirious. All right. I hope you all accomplish all your goals. I hope you do what you set out to do. I hope you accomplish what you set out to do. And uh, just remember, man, when you do it every day, you get results. And it may not be the results that you had envisioned, but you get results. Okay. Um. Thank you all for listening. So glad to be talking at you, with you, towards you, in your car, on your toilet, wherever you have me. Um, So grateful for my uh, 10 plus listeners and growing, baby, and growing. Okay. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please let me know. Uh, If you have any questions for me, let me know. I'll address them on the podcast. Uh, Follow me at Bad Motherfucker Named Gino on Instagram, Bad Mickey Ficky on Rizzle, Bad Mickey Ficky Named Gino on Rizzle uh broken bougie comedy on tiktok broken bougie comedy also on instagram you can also just look me up on facebook and reddit if you like and uh i'll see you next time i love you bye bye